Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church Podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to subscribe. Well, good evening, everybody. Who's glad they came tonight? God is good. Um, it's really good to see you here, and I know God's got more stuff for us. Stefan is going to come up and just tell us a little bit about his baptism in the Holy Spirit and his experience with praying in tongues. The mic's over there, Stefan. <laughs> um, yeah, so Greg asked me just to come and talk you through through my experience, and I told him, listen, you know, this is not the experience where there's tongues in the air and there's earthquakes and things like that, and he said, perfect, that's exactly what he wants. So, so um, I had the privilege to, to grow up in, an, in a God-fearing and in a Christian home and in a Christian church, and from yay I, I went to Sunday school every, um, every Sunday, and it's those days where we get a sticker every time we went, and if you don't have enough stickers at the end of the year, you can't go to the next year. So it was properly indoctrinated <laughs> wow. in me. Um, and, and the Trinity and God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, everything as well, and all the theory was embedded in me. However, I think, no, no, in the benefit of hindsight, there was part of the culture was if you don't understand something, then rather just stay away from it. You know, if you don't understand from it's probably a little bit dangerous. And it's probably a little bit uncontrollable, and there's some stuff that you can't control, so rather let's just stay away from it. So, hence, based on that, and this is now my reflection, I think the, the, the power of the Spirit and the teaching of the Spirit was probably a little bit, well, not probably, was quite subdued and a little bit underdone. And I think the first time that I was exposed to it was at university. Now, to add to my previous comment about culture, I studied engineering, and <laughs> engineering crowd is not the most creative crowd and we tend to try and control everything so if you don't con can't control it if you can't understand it if you can't if you don't know what it is then you stay away from it and it's probably dangerous and don't build that bridge or you don't uh, build that circuit and things like that um, so with this um, I got exposed in, in university to some churches um, where this, the teaching of the spirit the teaching of the Holy Spirit had a lot more prominence and it was really part of the Trinity and part of God three in one, and which was also always a theory, but I think I never experienced it. And post that, went to London, um, worked a little bit there and, and played a little bit there and got hooked into a very cool church there. And, and me and one of my friends, we started unpacking this and said, God, what does this spirit thing mean? Um, because I, I, I know the theory, but uh, you know, what does it mean? And it got to a stage where I, was, I, was conf I confronted myself and said, well, God says in his word, be baptized and be baptized in the, in the spirit. And, and, and I struggled with the Lord. I said, Lord, I don't understand it, but I'll do it. Because you say do it, and that should be, and that is enough for me, and I'm, I'm going to do it. And I, I don't know what the consequences are. I don't know whether there's going to be uncontrollable things. I don't know if there's going to be tongues from heaven and we'll hear tonight or earthquakes or anything like that. I don't know. And that doesn't really matter. But what I do know is that, God, you say it, so I'm going to do it. So 4th of July 2004 um, in London, 
I think it was actually also an upper room, but it was a lot less romantic in that it was literally <laughs> someone's bath. I got uh, baptized and they prayed for me and I started um, being able to pray in tongues. And, and like I said, nothing amazing happened. Nothing like, wow, this, the world is so much greener and the, the green of the trees is now greener and, the, and everything is more colorful. But I, I continued pressing into it and said, God, I don't really know it, but you say it, so I'm going to continue doing it. And, and one thing I remember vividly is I was, uh, at that stage, I was a driver or a little, I drove a little scooter through the streets of London, had my helmet on, and whenever I put my helmet on, I would, I would, I would continue praying in tongues. And, and, and then it was every single day, and I just continued pressing in and continued pressing into it. And, and I remember a couple of weeks after that, I, it's a long story, but I really wanted to stay in London, but stuff didn't work out, and... And I got a job back in Joburg, and I came, and I was, it was the night before I came back to Joburg, and at church that evening, a friend of mine said, yeah, where have you been the last couple of months? Because we've got a perfect job for you, and I've been looking for you. And I'm like, in jeepers, on my way, on the tube on my way home that night, I was sitting and wrestling with God and said, God, did I, did I not trust you enough to wait for this job, to, to take my, the, the, my plans in my own hands and and make a plan to go back um, to South Africa. And, and it was the first time that I really could experience, and it wasn't audible, but in my mind it wasn't audible, but an audible voice from God almost, and I'm going to be saying, you stupid, do you think I'm going to send you, give you this opportunity to go back to South Africa if I didn't want you to go back to South Africa? And, and it just gave me so much peace and so much, yeah, um, comfort that I was doing the right thing. And, a month later, I, I met my wife here in Joburg. <laughs> Two months later, I joined this church. <laughs> and and on, upon reflection again, and like I said, um, it wasn't a, a wow moment. And all of a sudden, it was a journey that started through an act of obedience Amen. and continues every, every day. Also, I think what, what changed in me, and there was a change from... Uh, a theoretical knowledge to an experiential knowledge of what God means and what, what God is. There's certain things that without being able to articulate ABC, it's just I know because I know because I know because I know. And I think that just creates the, the level of comfort, the level of um, surety and the level of security that I've got in, in God and with God. And yes, everything's not perfect and yes, there's a enough struggles and there is enough struggles going but I think it's uh, it was the one of it wasn't the first step because the first step was in primary school when I gave my heart to the Lord but it was the next step and the next act of obedience where I believed I lived out what God called me to do so amen thank, thank you Stefan amen so um to, today is actually Pentecost Sunday on the church calendar and we're commemorating that today and, um, you know, in Luke 24, verse 49, Jesus speaks to his disciples and he says, And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And so Jesus is saying to his disciples, they don't know this yet, but he's about to die on a cross, he's about to be resurrected to life, and is about to ascend to heaven.
And before all of that happens, Jesus says, now I'm going to send the promise of my Father, the gift of my Father, but stay in the city of Jerusalem until you are clothed in power. And that word power is the Greek word dunamis, dunamis. And uh, it's where we get the English word dynamite from. So think about dynamite for a minute. What, what is dynamite? <laughs> power, <laughs> explosive, you know, fiery. Um, it's also where we get the word dynamic from. And so the, the word dunamis literally means a force, a miraculous power, a special ability, an abundance, a mighty deed, strength, and violence, okay? And so that's what they are to wait for, is this empowering. And if we jump to Acts chapter 2, we read in verse 1 to 4 the following. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested each one on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So Lareko alluded to it, but I was very blessed a number of years ago to, to do a tour of Israel, and I really loved the city of Jerusalem. It really was my favorite place on that whole tour. It was just incredible. And it's, the current city is this great um, medieval uh, Turkish city with these like cobbled stones and these buildings that are all over, and it's just wonderful. It's like a real fairy tale city, you know? And in any case, we were going along and we we're looking at all the sites, and our, um, I had an Israeli Viennese guide. Now think about that for a minute. Like this guy only wanted to hear one click, you know? He was, yeah, he was very, very like... And uh, he found out I was a pastor. And so everywhere he went, he was like, what happened here, pastor? What went down here? So who knows, the night before, we didn't even have Google back then. I didn't have a smartphone. I mean, I was read like when we knew where we were, I was reading, looking at the maps, and I answered all his questions. And so when we got to the, the upper room, um, it, was, it was quite a special experience. Now, the thing with Jerusalem is this. It's tiny. Okay, so whether or not that was the upper room really doesn't matter, because literally within a two-kilometer radiance, it, it happened. <laughs> There's like, I always laugh so hard, because there is this huge fight between charismatics and the traditional church about where, where the tomb is, okay? And I'd read all about this, and I was excited, and I'd looked at all the pictures, and I was trying to make up mine. When we got to Jerusalem, I literally died laughing. It's a three-minute walk from one to the other. <laughs> Who cares? It's there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, it happened. Um, but my guide was so funny. When, when we got to the upper room, he was asking me to tell the story. He said, he said are you one of those crazy charismatics? Do you, do you start praying in tongues and fall on the floor? And he said, whenever he brings like Pentecostal tours <laughs> to the upper room, they all have like a Holy Ghost moment. But in any case, this is the original Holy Ghost moment. This is the first time this happened. And it was supernatural. Utterly supernatural. Now, I see four things. We could argue that there are only three, but I see four very supernatural things happening in this passage. First and foremost, there is a sound of rushing wind. There's no wind blowing, but they hear the sound of a rushing wind. And then there is this vision, this apparition of fire that rests upon each one of them. So they have a vision, they see something. And I think it was actually physically happening as well. Um, kind of like the burning bush. And then they are filled with the Holy Spirit. That is supernatural. Now, up until this time in history, nobody except Jesus had been filled with the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, when we see miracles happening, and it's usually through the prophets of God, what is going on there is that the Holy Spirit is visiting them. 
for a moment, the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they give forth the utterance of God or they're able to heal or do miraculous signs. But then the Holy Spirit departs. Think about that for a minute. But for the first time in history, 120 um, common men and women are filled with the Holy Spirit permanently, and he remains. That's supernatural. It's never happened before. And then they begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. What's interesting about this is that um, the way the Bible describes it is that this Pentecost is a Jewish feast. It's a, it's a Hebrew feast, and it had been celebrated for centuries. And the, the thing was, when it was, when it was the Feast of Pentecost, every, you went to Jerusalem. And because the Jews had been scattered throughout the nations, um, they were coming back to Jerusalem from many different nations. And some of them um, only spoke the, the language of their nation, the Phrygians or the Syrians or the Greeks or the Romans speaking Latin. And when they came back to Jerusalem on this crazy day, these 120 people filled with the Holy Spirit, full of power, full of strength and might, are running down the stairs, running through these little cobblestone streets, and you can't miss them. And they're praising God in, 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 in this array of languages. And the Bible says that each one heard the praises of God in their own language. And they were astounded. They were like, how are these uneducated people doing this? Um, and, and this is a supernatural experience. Can you all agree? This is not a natural thing going on here. And the point I want to make as we start tonight is that there is a supernatural realm. Whether you want to believe it or not, there is a supernatural realm. And maybe the best way to conceive of this is to think of it rather as a seen realm and an unseen realm. So we are dwelling in the seen realm, aren't we? Just take a look around. We can see each other. We can see the chairs. Now, there's a whole lot of weird philosophies out there that are suggesting we might be a butterfly's dream or something like that. This is the seen realm. It's real, people. This is real. The chair is holding you up because it exists, and it's real, okay? This is the seen realm. Um, but there is an unseen realm. Now, remember a couple of weeks ago, I preached and I was talking about the Holy Spirit creator. And we looked at the function of the Holy Spirit in, in creating the world and then recreating the world when Jesus was born. And we saw him hovering over the waters. And he brought forth the universe. Okay? And so the unseen realm is more real than the seen realm. Because the seen realm came out of the unseen realm and it will return to the unseen realm. Every single one of us, when we die, will go into the unseen realm. But these realms coexist and they overlap upon each other. So 2 Corinthians 4 verse 18 says, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are not seen are eternal. And this is why the unseen realm is more real than ours. It's eternal. This one is transient. It's just here temporarily. And the point of it is for us to be born and to know God. So there is a spiritual realm. There is a supernatural realm. The second thing is that we can access the supernatural realm. As Christians, we are designed to live in two realms at the same time. Do you know that you have a spirit? You have a spirit. Every single human being on this planet has a spirit, and that spirit was God-breathed. It's the essence of God inside of every single one of us. 
And so we can access the supernatural realm. But here's the thing. There are only two ways it is possible to access the supernatural realm. And the first way is faith in God, faith in the power of God, faith in the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit to access that realm. And this is as simple as it is. You know, I loved it when Siopan said, my story doesn't have earthquake. I said, well, that's great because most don't. <laughs> but you see, we, we misunderstand some things. Praying is supernatural. Faith is supernatural. Who prays every day? I hope all of you are putting your hands up. <laughs> Please start if you don't. Um, you are literally accessing the supernatural realm every single time you pray. Why? Because you are speaking to God. Where does God live? In the unseen realm. So that's, that's the legitimate way to access the supernatural realm. The second way to access the supernatural realm is literally every other way anybody ever tries to access the supernatural realm, and it's illegitimate. Why am I saying that? Because the whole point of accessing the supernatural realm is to know God, is to encounter God, is to encounter his will and his way for us. Any other way we're trying to access the supernatural realm is just about ourselves. We're going to get there in a moment. So any other way of accessing the supernatural realm outside of the power of the Holy Spirit is called esoteric. Has anybody ever heard that word? Esoteric. What it, it literally means only for the initiated, Okay. Um, in the dictionary, it says, to be understood by or meant for only the select few who have special knowledge. Only if you know the secret mysteries. Only if you know the special words. We've, we've watched a million TV shows like that, haven't we? Only the initiated, only the special one, Neo from The Matrix. That's giving my age away a very big time. Most of you don't even know what I'm talking about. Um, but it's only for the select few, for the special few. Now, this is not how God operates. Anyone who is a child of God, anyone who is part of the family of God, who is a son or a daughter of God, can access the supernatural realm through the Holy Spirit, as I've just described to you. Now, there might be people amongst us in the church who have more capacity for the gifting of prophecy or miracles or healings or just more sort of spiritual than others, and that's great. But the only reason they are able to move in that is because they are sons and daughters of God, because they are children of God, because they are part of the family of God. They're not more special than you. They're not more special than me. The way I think of this is if, if you are a child of God here tonight, you are walking with the Lord, aren't you? You are on a journey with God. And the way I see it in my head is, is we're on the same street, we're on Heaven Street, and we're walking, and we're going after God. I've been a Christian for 33 years now. Yeah. So that might mean I'm two or three blocks ahead of you. But I'm still just a child of God, following God. And that is for all of us. And everything that God has for us is for us. Beware of spiritual leaders who start talking about levels or the secret things. 
This is the secret. Jesus Christ was born as a baby in Bethlehem, and he lived as a man, fully man and fully God, and he died on a cross, and on the third day he rose again, and he ascended to heaven. That is the secret. That is it. There is no other secret. There are no other levels. There is no esotericism in Christianity. I remember studying a course. I only got halfway through the first year, but I really enjoyed the course. It was called Comparative Religions. And I got to do, read a textbook and, and really look at world religions and what they believed, and I really enjoyed it. The one thing I noticed, now Christianity is very unique amongst world religions, but one of the things that makes Christianity incredibly unique is that in Christianity, you never ever graduate from the basics. No matter how advanced or far you get, you only practice the basics. You read your Bible, you believe your Bible, and you obey your Bible. You pray to God, you hear Him, and you obey Him. You fellowship with the saints, you tithe. You, you repent of your sins. The basics remain the same. If you ever encounter a Christian leader who has stopped practicing the basics, well, they're just not a Christian anymore. It's as simple as that. And so God is not esoteric. You know, when, when a prophet or that super spiritual person starts coming with a revelation that they've heard, that's awesome. But the second that revelation is not the same as what we read in the canon of Scripture, we have a problem. Basically, that problem is we're starting a cult. Every single cult in existence today started when somebody had a revelation that wasn't in this Bible. And Paul writes in Galatians 1 verse 8, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Paul is saying, if I come back in two years and I tell you a totally different story from what I'm telling you today, you shut me up and you throw me away. He's saying, if you literally have visions of Gabriel, of Gabriel, of Gabriel and Michael descending from heaven and they tell you a story that we have not heard, Go see a doctor. <laughs> Get the help you need. But there is only one gospel, and this is it. And it's, it's, it's over 2,000 years old now, and it still works. So we don't mess with it. And guys, this is why we read this book. This is why we read this Bible and we obey it and we trust the Holy Spirit to apply it to our lives. Um, it works on many levels, but if all you can do with the Bible is read it, it is good enough because it tells you what it needs to tell you. All the truth we need is in here. The Bible does not contain all truth. It doesn't tell us why the sky is blue. Do you get what I'm saying? Science can explain that a little bit for us. But everything it does say is true. And so we must live from it. As an example, I have a bit of a horror story for you. <laughs> Somebody I knew about eight, nine years ago joined the church, so passionate, born again, baptized in water, filled with the Holy Spirit, absolutely loved Jesus. If you were around this person, just spoke about Jesus all the time. An amazing person and a very inspiring Christian. But over, over time, they had a much more affinity for the Spirit than the Word. And so they started only listening to the Holy Spirit. They stopped reading the Bible. And we challenged them and we encouraged them. And they, because they were in good Christian fellowship, they stayed on the straight and narrow. 
they had an opportunity to go work in an overseas country, and when they got there, they realized that there was very little Christian fellowship there. So in their room, they prayed in tongues, they listened to the Holy Spirit. After a while, though, it got a little lonely and a bit exhausting, and that's why we were communicating a lot. And then I noticed I haven't had communication for a couple of weeks. So I followed up and said, how are things going? What's happening? And they were like, no, no, I've met this amazing Christian. We're like the only two Christians in the town. It's so incredible. We meet every day and we talk. And then there was long silence again, and I checked in. And the next thing he said to me, oh, I've stopped eating bacon. My first response was, I'm so sorry. What happened? <laughs> I mean, I cannot be part of any religion that says I can't eat bacon. Um, and when we started speaking about it, this Christian that he met was now telling him things from the Bible. But because he didn't know the Bible, he had no idea. Now, anybody who's even read the New Testament once, aren't you like a bit surprised at how much Paul talks about food? Like almost a third of the New Testament is Paul talking about food. What he's really talking about is man-made rules and religious observances that we put on ourselves that God does not require of us. What he's really talking about is what is true freedom. And basically, in my interpretation, Paul says, eat as much bacon as you want to. <laughs> and <laughs> eat as much bacon as you want to. So... Um, I, I now I'm talking to this guy and I'm explaining this to him and I'm telling him this. And I, my job as a pastor and all of us in this church, every pastor I know endeavors, when we preach, we want to preach truth. We're going after truth. We help each other. We encourage other. We debate together. We make sure that we are speaking truth. But we are only people and we can get it wrong. But we're learning and we're growing. But the point I'm trying to make is I immediately sent him two of the scriptures I know convinced me about the fact that we're allowed to eat bacon. But now, he won't read them because he only wants to hear from the Spirit. So again, long silence. The next thing, I get this panicked call. Because now he's pushing into the Spirit realm, but he's, he's made an agreement with lies. He's accessed the Spirit realm in an illegitimate way. And the next thing, he's being plagued by horrific visions. There are black things crawling across the ceiling every night, and he can't sleep. And he's praying, and nothing's happening. This is real, and nothing's happening. So who does he turn to? The pastor who sent him the scriptures. I can't read the Bible for you. That's not my job. In fact, my job, Lareko's job, is not to read the Bible. That is not why we are employed. We are Christians. We are children of God. It is expected that we read our Bible daily, that we look after our own devotions before the Lord. And so out of this place of fear now, suddenly he's starting to listen to what I'm saying to him. And I said to him, you go and read your Bible until you find an answer. And he did. And he repented and he disagreed with the lies. And guess what? All of that nonsense stopped happening. Now, I would love to say that he carried on reading his Bible. <laughs> but you know, people. Any case. Beware of men or women who claim to have the cure for your hurt or your problem or your sin if you just listen to them or come along to their program. You see, this is the solution for your problem or your sin or your disease or whatever's going on. It's, you're going to find it in here. You're going to find it in good Christian fellowship. You're going to find it in good scientifically verifiable therapy. There are lots of ways of good things to help because God's truth is truth. And when we find his truth, we stand on it. But read your Bible. 
So I think I've made the point that God is not esoteric. John 3 verse 16 really nails it home. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him. Not one person is exempt. Every single person walking out there has, can choose to believe in God can choose to make Jesus Christ Lord and Savior. The second they do, the eternal life of God is freely available to them, to whomever would believe. All his benefits, his promises, his goodness, his grace is freely available to every one of us who believe and are his sons and daughters. Now remember I said the point of accessing the supernatural realm is to encounter God so that he can direct us, so that he can change us, so that we can become like him. But even as Christians, there's a space where we want to manipulate the supernatural. That's the, that's the reason everybody else goes in their legitimate ways, because we, we want to manipulate the supernatural. Do you know that manipulation is the heart of witchcraft? It's the whole of witchcraft, in fact. Because what is witchcraft trying to do? I want to manipulate a person or a thing to my will. I want to force an outcome from it. So now whether you believe it or not, every spell, every incantation, every fetish, every talisman, the whole point of it is what? To manipulate an outcome. And the most manipulative thing we know as, as human beings is fear. Fear is a spirit. Fear is an agreement we make with a lie. When my friend made that agreement, when he started believing this thing about bacon, and he started agreeing with it, that's when things started manifesting on his ceiling. And fear came and locked him into that place, and he didn't know how to escape. If you look in the Old Testament, in Isaiah, it talks about the spirit of fear. Continuously, we hear about the spirit of fear. So fear is not just, you know, that little bit of scared or that little bit of anxiety or whatever. You know, when you're, if, you're in, if you're in your house and you hear a lion growling outside and you look out the window and one's rampaging around your garden, you do what you need to do. You go get your gun, you go get your rake, you phone somebody with a gun or a rake, you do what you need to do. You know, if you're driving in the car and it looks like somebody's going to run and smash your window, you do what you need to do. That's not fear. That's a little scared. That's adrenaline. And you do what you need to do. But fear is when you, you keep looking out the window to see if the lion's there. If we, and you don't believe your own eyes when you see it's not there. And you stay in your house and you never leave. The spirit of fear is when you agree that if I leave this house, I will be attacked. So you're never in the car. It makes your life small and not worth living. And it's highly manipulative. And so this is what witchcraft wants to do. It wants to bring fear. And fear is agreement. Fear is believing the lie. And so how do I come out of fear? Well, I disagree with the lie. I go, there might be a lion out there. I don't know. I'm going to open the door and I'm going to take a look. If I don't see a lion, I'm going to start thinking there isn't a lion there. If there is, I will deal with it. The problem with manipulation as well is that it's transactional. Manipulation is, if you do this, I'll do this. And it's where we sell a part of ourselves, where we give away our part of ourselves for something we think is going to make us powerful, seen, significant, whatever's going on. And this is us as Christians. 
Manipulation is when I make an agreement with something beyond myself. But what I don't realize is, is that all I have at the end of it is myself. So sometimes when we pray, <laughs> we're trying to manipulate God. You see, God is not transactional, he's relational. The first point of faith is to know God. That is the first reason faith exists. It says about Abraham, it was a credit to him as faith because he did what? He believed. And Abraham accessed the supernatural realm and he found God. And then God directed him. Abraham left his family, left his wealth, left his princehood in Ur, and he, he went to Israel. Now, this is also something, if you ever go to Israel and you go to the, the Dead Sea, <laughs> that's where God brought Abraham. That was where Abraham entered the promised land. If you've ever been there, you know why I'm laughing, because Ur was lush and green and between the Euphrates and the Tigris and wealthy and rich. And I think it's the biggest joke of all because God leads Abraham to a rock desert, to a salt lake that kills everything it touches. There's nothing there. And I always just imagine God going, ta-da! <laughs> and now I know how faithful Abraham was. Because he was like, thank you, Lord. Yes, Lord. <laughs> but the point of faith is knowing God, is accessing God and finding Him. That is the first point. We use faith for a beautiful spouse and a great job and a new car. And faith can do those things. But the first point of faith is knowing God. And when I know God, all the blessings of God come to me. Faith is about relationship, first and foremost. It's not about getting things. And sometimes we're standing in faith and standing in faith, but we don't even know God. We didn't ask God what he thought about it. We didn't use our faith to access him to see his heart for us. And like I said a few weeks ago, maybe God has got so much bigger plans for me than I even have for myself. Maybe if I actually asked him, I would be so happy to throw my plan away and jump straight into his. Prayer is the same thing. Prayer is for relationship. There's no magic in faith. There's no magic in prayer. We don't pray and pray and pray and then God has to do something. We pray for relationship. Yes, we ask him for things. Yes, the Bible is full of different kinds of prayers we can pray. But the ultimate space is relationship. God is not transactional. And we see this also in the way God manifests the supernatural. Because the gifts of the Holy Spirit are literally God's love being demonstrated. Think about it. Somebody who who is sick or broken in their body, comes to church, like, like what happened tonight. And we pray and they are healed. And they walk out of here strong. That's love in action. That's the love of God saying, I love you so much, I'm gonna heal you. Somebody walks in and they're discouraged and they're confused and they don't know what's coming next and, and they encounter somebody with a prophetic gift and, and they prophesy over them and suddenly there's hope and there's expectation and there's understanding. That's love in action. Somebody comes in depressed and, and not knowing what comes next, and, and somebody next to them just discerns that on them and just gives them a hug and loves on them for a minute. And suddenly they realize they're not alone. That's God's love in action. 
And as I said, God is neither transactional nor esoteric. So what does that mean? Well, they are gifts, not rewards. You don't have to reach a certain number of hours of praying before you're allowed to pray in tongues. You don't have to chop off your little toe and wear a weird hairstyle so you can prophesy, please. If you're wearing a weird hairstyle, we're not letting you prophesy because it's just weird. Um, I'm being silly, but you get what I'm saying. They are gifts, not rewards. And they are distributed freely as he desires. That's why I wanted Stefan and Demi to talk. They're not pastors. They're not full-time employed by the church at all, but they're faithful sons and daughters of God. And they just pursue God. And Demi has a phenomenal gift of prophecy because she just loves God and she's pushed into it and she loves people and she wants to bless people. Um, And these gifts belong to the Holy Spirit. They are the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We cannot have his gifts without him. I have encountered people who want to learn about prophecy and they come to me to be trained. And I ask them, are you baptized in the Holy Spirit? And they say no. And I say, great, well, let's do that. I say, no, I don't want any of that weird charismatic stuff. And I'm like, do you want the gift of prophecy or don't you? Because you can't have it without him. And if you don't want him, (laughs) I don't know what to do. God is not transactional. He is relational. You know, we, our agreement with God is highly one-sided. He does it all, and he gives it all. <laughs> and we receive, and we obey. Simply by believing and living like we believe. And I think there's a story in Acts chapter 8 that really kind of highlights this thing about how freely the gifts are given and what God's heart for his gifts are. And it's the story of Simon the sorcerer. And so Simon the sorcerer, he was a man who lived in the village of Gitter in Samaria. And he was so gifted in the supernatural that the people of the town called him the great power of God. Little did they know. Picking up in verse 12, it says this. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. Isn't that amazing? The sorcerer heard the gospel and believed in Jesus Christ to the point that he was baptized in water. He was a Christian. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them, they had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Remember that scripture, we're coming back to it in a moment. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. And so what went wrong here? Simon was born again. He believed on the name of Jesus Christ. He got baptized. But he misunderstood relationship. He was still living in a transactional reality. And when he saw what Peter and John were doing, it was way more than what he, the great power of God, had ever done through all his esoteric ways. 
And instead of just asking them, what is this? Where does this come from? What's going on? He says, I'll give you money if you pray and I can have that. And Peter rebukes him. <laughs> That's love. That's love to look at someone and say, this is what I see in you. You're full of bitterness and captive to sin. The last verse is great because this is where Simon repents. Pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. He understands the error of his way. And I think he was then filled with the Holy Spirit and could move freely in it as much as any other Christian around him could. So it really proves that point. The gifts are free. But we honor them and respect them because they are the Holy Spirit's gifts. And we honor and respect him and then we can move in them. Don't pay for prophecies. It always astounds me as a prophetic minister when I see, I, all I know about the psychology of money is if you're giving me 2,000 rand to prophesy of you, it's going to be very, very favorable, no matter what. <laughs> Just don't pay for a prophecy. So let's go back to Acts 2. So they were told to wait in the upper room, but they were there, wait there for, till the power of, on high clothed them. And this is the next issue. They didn't just wait for the power, they received it. They actually accepted it. Um, and, and when they accepted it, what happened? There was powerful stuff. There was the rushing wind, the tongues of fire, the filling of the Holy Spirit, the praying in other tongues. The, the one we don't often talk about, but it is as much an evidence of the Holy Spirit as anything else that happened, is Peter preaching so powerfully and so anointedly that 3,000 people are convicted and give their lives to Jesus. There was a supernatural boldness that came on him. He had sat at Jesus' feet. He was absolutely discipled by Jesus. But when the Holy Spirit comes on him, it's the first time we ever see him doing something like that. And all everything he's learned just flows out of him, and, and 3,000 people are born again. Um, and so because of that, so often we look at this and, and we see the spectacular supernatural, and that's all we expect with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's all we think the Holy Spirit can do. But the Holy Spirit comes with more than just that power. The Holy Spirit comes with a power to transform our character. He comes with a power to change us on the inside. We call this the fruit of the Spirit. Has anybody ever heard of that? The fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, verse 22 to 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Just think about that for a minute. Against such things, there is no law. If you, are, if you move in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, who is going to be offended at you? If you live like the fruit of the Spirit, who's going to bring an accusation? People can hate you, they can lie about you, they cannot like you, but if you live like that, what law is going to come against you? <laughs> it's really good advice. But I know, and, and if you had to be honest, I know how small my love is. I know how soon my joy ends. I know how quickly my kindness dies. I need the Holy Spirit. I need him and I need his power to bring those things out of me, to grow those things in me, to keep me consistently in that space. And so do you. And so there's no either or here. There's no I'm of the fruits or I'm of the gifts. <laughs> if you want the Holy Spirit, the fruit comes. Um, it's as simple as that. He brings power for both. But here's the thing. It's our responsibility. What are, are we going to just focus on the gifts? Or are we going to just focus on the fruits? Or are we going to focus on both? You know, as human beings, we love focusing on stuff that's nice and easy. Actually, we just like focusing on stuff that makes us happy. 
And there's a tendency in, in the charismatic world to focus on gifts. We keep raising gifts. That person's got a phenomenal prophetic gift. That worship leader sings like an angel. That's great. But what is their character? Are they growing their character? Do they have forbearance? Um, because what happens if we only focus on our gifts, eventually our gift will grow to a point where our character cannot sustain it, and we will fall. And we see that in Christian culture all the time. Because we only, we only expected them to move in gifts. And so they moved in their gift, and then that's all they did, and they didn't worry about the fruits. And for all of us, this is a harsh word. Will we focus on gifts and character? And now we get to the wonderful moment of how do we receive the supernatural power? <laughs> how do we go there? Well, Luke 11, 9 to 13 says, And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask for him? And so Jesus, talking of the Holy Spirit, speaks of a father giving good gifts to his children. And it is implicit throughout the scripture. Ask, do you want the Holy Spirit? Do you want tongues? Do you want to move in the supernatural power of God? Do you want peace and joy and love? Ask, ask, ask. Ask, seek, knock, <laughs> ask. <laughs> um, that is how we access him. And, and what I love about this is when God commands us to ask something, will he withhold it? He is not cruel. He is consistent in his character. He is a good father. If he commands us to ask for it, what is going to happen when we ask? We will get him. And he has the thing. When we ask for the Holy Spirit, it is a Holy Spirit. Nothing else can come. Nothing else can masquerade. Nothing else can circumvent. He says, if you ask for eggs, you don't get scorpions. You get eggs. If you really don't like eggs, you can have fish. <laughs> but you get what you ask for, and it's good. And so there's no fear in this. There's no fear. Remember, we are pushing into the supernatural realm through the legitimate way. We are pushing through relationship, through faith through belief, through a desire and a longing for God, all we will get is Him. And so that's how we access this. Are you asking? Are you asking for more of the Holy Spirit? Are you asking for more of the gifts? It's good to ask. So remember when we read in Acts 8.16 about the Samaritans, and it spoke about how they had believed the gospel Philip preached to them. They had accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord. They were even baptized. But when um, the apostles in Jerusalem sent Peter and John to them, they discovered that they have not yet received the Holy Spirit. And they lay hands on them and they pray. And there's some kind of manifestation. We don't know exactly what happens, but there's an, enough manifestation for Simon to want to pay for it. <laughs> Um, and so it was a second experience, like, like Stephen's story. He was born again, really young, served God faithfully. But much later, he had the experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We see it again in Acts 19, 5 to 6. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. And this is the Ephesians. When Paul encounters them, they, they've, they've heard the gospel, and they've received the gospel. They haven't been baptized in water, and they 
haven't been baptized in the Spirit. So years after their salvation, they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is a secondary experience. And then the baptism of the Holy Spirit is accompanied by supernatural gifts. And the most common one is what? Tongues, yes. So we see five occurrences in the book of Acts. So let's look at them again quickly. Acts 2, we've read about it. There's wind, fire, um, filled with the Spirit, and tongues, and then preaching boldly. But we see tongues there. In Acts 8 with the Samaritans, we see them lay on hands. We don't, we don't, they don't tell us what the manifestation is, but there is an obvious manifestation, so they know that they have been baptized in the Spirit. In Acts 9, this is Saul's baptism. Saul became the apostle Paul, and uh, he was struck blind, remember? And so when he's baptized in the Holy Spirit, he is healed of his blindness, his eyes are opened, and he speaks in tongues. Uh, Acts 10, this really beautiful moment, um, the first time we see pagan heathen Gentiles <laughs> receive salvation in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And um, Cornelius prays to God. He's a godly man. He's asking, send somebody to preach to us. Send somebody to preach to us, to my whole household. And that's his slaves, his friends, his family, everybody he loved, he brought into his household. And supernaturally, the Lord gives Peter a vision, and an angel commands Peter to go to that house. And when he gets there, he realizes it's a pagan house, and he starts preaching the gospel. And this beautiful thing happens, because while he's preaching, the whole lot of them stand up, raise their hands in the hair, and they start praying in tongues. And Peter's shocked because up until that point, he thought you had to become a Jew to become a Christian. He thought you had to literally convert to Judaism to receive Christ. But because they received the gift of tongues, he knew they'd received the Holy Spirit, and that proved to him they were born again because he knew they couldn't be, receive the Holy Spirit without being born again. Isn't that amazing? And so the Lord showed him, stop that nonsense, it's for everybody, preach the gospel, I'll do the rest. They also all get baptized in water that same day. And then the last one is the one we've just discussed, the Ephesians, and they speak in tongues and prophesy. So tongues is by far the most common evidence of the Holy Spirit. Um, but what exactly is tongues? Okay, so 1 Corinthians 14, 2 verse 5 tells us, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. What do we call it when somebody speaks to God? Prayer, yes. So it's good to call this praying in tongues. And that's separate from the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues, which is actually a prophetic gift, and there has to be interpretation. Who is the audience when we pray in tongues? God. Does God need an interpretation? No. So we can pray in tongues freely anytime to God because he's the audience, okay? On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. So Praying in tongues is praying perfect prayers to God. The Holy Spirit is praying through you back to God exactly what is needed in your heart and life. If you've ever had those moments where you don't know what to pray, this is where the gift of tongues, of praying in tongues, comes in really handy. I think all of us have stories of that. It's not just for crisis, however. If we only use it for crisis, we're not doing it right. So, but he has the second reason. This is what I mean by we're not doing it right, because tongues builds us up. I think the Greek word in there is oikodomeo or something like that, and it, it's, it means to edify, 
to build up, to encourage. So when somebody prophesies to an individual or to the church, there is a deep encouragement that comes that is released. When we pray, there is a deep, in tongues, there is a deep encouragement that comes to our hearts and souls. Some, some commentaries actually talk about the fact that if the Apostle Paul used an Apple iPhone in his day, every time he needed to recharge it, they would use that word edify. That would be the word for recharging your battery. And so that's something that tongues does inside of it. Now, and we don't pay enough attention to the sentence. Now, I want all of you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. Now, Paul is not saying forget tongues and just prophesy. What is he saying? Now, I want all of you to speak in tongues. In fact, later on, he says, I speak in tongues more than any of you. This morning when Mercia was preaching, she said something I've never, ever thought about. She said, look at Paul's life. Look at the fruit of Paul's ministry. Do you think it's because he prayed more in tongues than anybody else? That he was edified and filled with the Spirit and had all that boldness we see on him. So this is what tongues is. It's It's a prayer language to God, praying unencumbered prayers, praying perfect prayers to God where our mind can't get in the way, where the devil can't get in the way, where we can just unleash our faith and just pray to God. It's about edifying ourselves. And that's a good thing to do. And this is why we want to go after tongues. Now, will everybody pray in tongues? Well, it seems like some people don't. But what does Paul say? I want all of you to pray. There is great benefit to praying in tongues. And then when I was thinking about this thing about people who don't pray in tongues, I was reminded of the Pentecostal revival that I think actually happened at the beginning of of the last century, just at the beginning of the last century, because we've just celebrated 100 years of it in the last couple of years. And that started from a Bible school that a, a man called Parham ran. And it was such a radical Bible school. What they did in this Bible school is they just read the Bible. That's all they did. There were like 28 of them. There were women included in this group. That's radical right there. You're going to hear something even more radical in a moment. But um, Parham, they read this Bible. And when they got to the second chapter of Acts, they all realized they didn't have a clue what it was talking about. They didn't understand. And so Parham, as the, as the leader said, great, we, uh, we are going to sit on this, on this chapter. So what he was actually talking about is, is when it says in, in Acts chapter 2, wait in the city, the old translations use the word tarry. Have you ever heard that word, tarry? It just means to wait. But there's kind of like an active waiting, okay? And so he said, we're going to do exactly what they did. We are not going to move from here till we experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And what that reminded me of was those 120 disciples in that original upper room who for over a month really didn't know what was happening. Jesus was dead. They'd seen him ascend, and then nothing happened. But they knew he said, go wait in the city, and they obeyed what he said. And there they were. And you know what they were doing for, those, for that month? They were just living their lives. But they were praying together. They were encouraging each other. They were reading scriptures, telling each other stories of Jesus. Remember when he said this? Remember when he said that? They were together in one accord. They were tarrying. But it wasn't wasted. It wasn't useless. I believe they were growing community. I believe they were strengthening and encouraging each other. I believe God in that space of them praying like that and being together was stirring their faith, stirring their faith, stirring their faith so that one afternoon they heard the sound of a rushing wind and the whole world changed. 
And so if you are, have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, but you're not yet praying in tongues, well, I think you're in a tarrying season. It took me nine months from the day I was baptized in the Holy Spirit till I spoke my first two or three words in tongues. <laughs> and it took me another year after that to get fluent in it. I had to deal with a whole lot of nonsense in my head and weird theology I had come up with and fear and a whole lot of stuff. But I was in a tarrying moment. And what we do then is we just keep asking. We just keep doing what those 120 disciples did. We just live our lives before God. We pray, we push into community. We ask and we ask and we let God build our faith till we are ready to receive. Does that make sense to you? And so maybe there are three, three categories here tonight. Maybe you have not yet received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, tonight it can happen. We can pray for you. We can lay Bluetooth hands on you and trust for the Lord to come. Jesus is the one who baptizes, but he allows us as a community be, to be part of that. When I, if one of us lays hands on you, it's not us baptizing you in the Holy Spirit, it's Jesus. But we get to be a part of boosting your faith and agreeing with you and standing there with you. Maybe the second category is that, that you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, that you know it's happened, that there's a boldness on you, that you are very aware of that experience, but you have not yet prayed in tongues. Well, we'll pray for you as well. And then the third category, Ephesians 5 verse 16 says, do not be drunk on wine, but rather be filled with the Holy Spirit. How do you know somebody's drunk? I mean... It's obvious. <laughs> That's the point I'm trying to make. Now, if you've ever been the only sober person in a group of drunk people, it's not a fun experience. But when somebody's drunk, it is really obvious. And what Paul is saying is, when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, it should be obvious. And that's not about us just falling around and being ridiculous, but there should be more love, more compassion, more boldness, more power. We should be able to minister and pray and do what we need to do and prophesy and pray for healing and just step out and reflect Jesus. It should be evident if we are filled with the Holy Spirit. How do you stay drunk? This is not a trick question. Who knows how you stay drunk? <laughs> Some of you shouted that out a little too quickly. Um, in exactly the same way, how do we remain filled with the Holy Spirit? We keep asking. We keep going there. And we should be continually filled because we should be giving out. Not just because life is hot, but because we are ministering Him. Okay, so whatever category you are in then, let's just close our eyes for a minute and we're gonna ask and then Loretta will lead us in a moment All after that. that Father, we just come before you. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the power on, that came from on high. Thank you for that dunamis. And right now, Lord God, for those of us who need the baptism of the Holy Spirit, would you come and build faith? And just where you are, start asking Him, fill me with your Spirit, baptize me in your Spirit. For those of us who have not yet prayed in tongues, God, we ask for that powerful, powerful blessing of praying in tongues in our own prayer language, that we can pray perfect prayers, that we can have your Spirit edifying our spirit. And Lord, if we're just a Christian, a charismatic who's been baptized, we praise in tongues, but we actually haven't prayed in tongues for a while, or we haven't really bothered to step out, would you refill us right now? There's no condemnation. There's no shame. It is a free gift. And He is here. Fill us, Lord. Fill us, Lord. Fill us, Lord.